from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in each one of our lives, all stemming from the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so I hope you'll dive into that with me this morning. We might uh, learn a little bit more about the church that we are a part of. Because the events surrounding uh, Acts chapter 2 are absolutely incredible. There was no more powerful moment in the church than the start of it. It was, it was real revival, right? If you're talking about real life change, if you want to see real revival, I'd encourage you to look back at the early church all throughout the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, we have this picture uh, of a group of disciples who were uh, earnestly, earnestly seeking the Lord, but not just earnestly seeking the Lord, they were also seeking the welfare of the city that they were in and the neighbors that were next to them. And, and this is the question that, that I strive to ask myself, right, as a member of the body of Christ. I want to ask myself, how can I glorify the Lord in my life, and how can I be a part of a church that does good for the community that it's in? And this is what I want to find today. And I know that this church has a desire to uh, do good for the city of Gary, do good for the city that you and the community that you are a part of. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I know that this church is a group of disciples who is earnestly seeking the Lord, earnestly seeking to glorify God. And I want to be for my neighbors. I want to be for my neighborhood. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 is that a healthy church, a healthy church is joyful and it's outward facing. Joyful and outward facing. And so how can we each, as, as members or, or attenders of this church, how can we be a part of a church that is striving to be joyful and outward facing to the glory of God? I, and I don't know where you're at in this journey. You know, maybe you just started coming to Bethel, Gary. Maybe you've only been here for a few weeks, a few months, and you're trying to figure out how to get involved in this location. You like what's going on, but you don't know how to get involved. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been coming for a long time, but you've had a really uh, difficult time finding community. You've had a difficult time finding connection with people. Maybe you want to help the church. Maybe you want to be involved with the church that is spreading the glory of God, establishing the kingdom in Gary, but you have no idea how to do it, right? You want to be part of the kind of life change that Jesus uh, presented in your life. You want to help give that to other people, but you don't know how to do it. Or maybe some of us this morning, we need, to be, uh, we need to be spurred on. We need to be reminded of our role in creating a joyful and outward-facing church. Because we know that the church is not a building, it's a group of people. A group of people have all been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a church functions best when all those who call it home are actively involved, right? Actively bought in to what God is doing, not just in this building, but in this community. We want to find what God is doing, and we want to get behind it. And, and I know when, when I think of, of, of my campus, you know, Hobart Portage, I have so many times uh, been personally encouraged and been personally excited and spurred on when I have seen others Others lean into the kind of kingdom work that God is doing at that place, the kind of people who are striving to make 
a campus, a church, a healthy expression of the body of Christ. And I know that's true of this campus as well. Because a healthy church loves God supremely and others sacrificially. And so we want to be a church. We want to be a church that loves God supremely and others sacrificially. Because a joyful and outward-facing church is made up of joyful and outward-facing people, right? Joyful, outward-facing church is made up of joyful and outward-facing people. But the opposite is true as well, right? An unhealthy church is often made up of people going through the motions, people that are inward-facing. And so how can we be a little introspective this morning? How can we look inside a little bit when it comes to church health? Because unhealth or, or disease in a church often drips in over time because inward facing is our natural bend, right? It's the natural bend of our flesh to look inward, to not glorify the Lord, to not look for the good of our community, but to look for the glory of me and to look for my benefit. Uh, last year, my wife and I, uh, we moved, moved from Hobart kind of over to the Portage area, and uh, we bought a home, and uh, we did what any, every home buyer does, and we got a home inspection, right? We got a home inspection, and I had somebody crawl through the crawl space of, of my new home, and uh, when we got the home inspection back, he found that there was mold in the crawl space. We thought, okay, you know, not a huge deal, and the people that we bought it from, uh, they paid for some mold remediation, and I thought, okay, great, you know, problem solved, problem solved, but the thing about mold, right, thing about mold is it comes back. <laughs> if you don't find the source of where it's coming from, it comes back. It comes back. And so uh, in the fall, I was uh, crawling in my crawl space. My wife says I spend too much time in my crawl space, and I would have to, I'd have to agree with her. I don't know why I find myself down there so often. But I was down there once, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm, I'm looking up. And, and you never want to look up in a crawl space. But I looked up in a crawl space. And I was right under uh, where our air conditioner sits. And I look up, and as I look up, I get a drip of water on my forehead. I said, where is that coming from? As I kind of look, there's continuous drip coming off of the ductwork right from my air conditioner. And so I went up into my air conditioner, or like my furnace, and I, I pulled off the bottom of it. And there was sitting, standing water in the bottom of my furnace. That had slowly over the years been dripping into the crawl space because the drain was clogged. And so we snaked the drain and the water dripped out. But over the years, this water had slowly been dripping into the crawl space, slowly been rotting boards, slowly been providing the kind of moisture, the kind of dark that mold loves to grow in, right? And this is true of church health as well. Church health doesn't, unhealth and, and health doesn't happen overnight. Church unhealth drips in, right? It drips in slowly. So how can we make sure that we find where the drips are coming from and we take a stop to it? What does the drip of unhealth look like? Right? If you were to ask me, uh, you know, what does... A church, if a church wanted to be ineffective as possible in glorifying the Lord and affecting its community, right? If you came up to me and you said, hey, I want to be a part of this church, but I want to do it really poorly. I want to be the most ineffective church member that you could imagine, what would you have for me, right? 
if I wanted to be a bump on a log here at a church, what would you tell me to do? I'm glad you asked. Because I got four steps to an unhealthy church this morning. We're going to look at four steps to an unhealthy church, and we're going to look at four steps to a healthy church. But first, four steps to being a bump on a log at a church. Step one. Step one. Be as casually indifferent about God and others as possible. As casually indifferent about God and others as possible. This is the heart of the Christian life right here, right? Love God and love others. This was Jesus' own summary of all of the Old Testament, that you should love God supremely, you should love others sacrificially. And so if you wanted to be an ineffective disciple of Jesus Christ, then you should attend church with as much air of indifference, which is, with as much uh, non-thought to other people as possible right? Come in here and forget the fact that this is, this is a room of, of eternal beings worshiping a God who is bigger than all things. Forget the fact that this is a, a room full of holy priesthood that is ministering to this city that God himself chose and set apart. Forget all of that. Forget the fact that this is a people bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you want to be ineffective, forget all that, right? And come here with such an air of indifference. Such an air of indifference. That's step one. Step two, come with indifference. Step two, partake in the body life of the church with a bored formality. And I don't think this church needs to hear it, judging by worship this morning. There's nothing boring about your services, and I love that. But if you wanted to be, if you wanted to be ineffective, come into service Sing, engage with the sermon with as much bored formality as you can muster, right? Put your nose up in the air at everything and anything that's going on around you. Don't let the fact, don't let the fact that Jesus Christ died for each and every person in this room stir your emotions. Don't get excited about anything that's going on here. If you want to be an effective disciple of Jesus Christ, Partake in the body life of church with a bored formality. That's step two. Step three. Step three. So much as it depends on you, be as greedy for your own increase as possible. As greedy for your own increase as possible. Walk into this church and ask questions like this. What can this church do for me? What can these people give to me? How can this place make my life easier? An inward-facing church is made up of inward-facing people. So if you want to be ineffective in the body, make sure you are greedy for your own increase. And then lastly, step four, if you must fellowship, do it in secluded cliques. If you must fellowship, do it in secluded cliques. Because here's the problem with church. Here's the problem with church. If you come to church for any kind of length of time, you're going to have to talk to somebody eventually, Right? We get a lot of people at HP that try to slip in, slip out. They usually sit up in the balcony. But if they come for three, four, five weeks, eventually they're going to have to shake somebody's hand and they're going to have to talk to somebody, right? They're going to have to shake somebody's hand. Inevitably, they're going to have to talk to somebody. But if you've got a fellowship, if you've got to do it, make sure you only do it in secluded cliques, right? 
Don't talk to people that, that are different than you. Don't talk to people uh, that, that you, you don't think you would connect with. And if we do that, we can make sure that most people feel unwelcome and unwanted at our church, right? And this is our four steps to an unhealthy church. This is how unhealth drips in. We can be casually indifferent about God and others. We partake in the body life of the church with a bored formality. We are greedy for our own increase, and we fellowship in secluded cliques. And what's the result of this? It's a sad, it's a shrinking, it's an inward-facing church. This is not the kind of church that God wants. This is not the kind of church that brings him glory, and this is not the kind of church that we desire here to be at Bethel Geary. Amen? Amen. So the real question, what's a healthy church look like, right? What's a healthy church look like? And we can look around at this location, we can look around at this body, and we can see health here, right? And so let's be reminded, let's be encouraged to pursue God, to pursue others by being a healthy church. So we're going to dive into Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 to 47 this morning. And if you've got the Word of God, uh, we're going to follow along. And I'm just going to ask us to stand as I read these few verses out of respect for God's Word. But... Uh, you can follow along with me in, on your phone, in your Bible, online. You can follow along with me as well. But this is Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And this is the word of the Lord to us. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen, amen. You may be seated as we dig into this uh, incredible picture of the launch of the church, right, of a healthy church body. This is the kind of church that I want to be a part of, right? If you looked at this and said, yeah, that's not for me, right? I think that everybody who's following Jesus would want to be a part of a church like this. So let's break it down. Let's break it down. What does a healthy church look like? And this is what I find in these few verses, the four steps to a healthy church. Step one, step one. Step one, a healthy church is that we would be relentlessly devoted to God and to others. We see this in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So what does the relentless devotion of the early church look like, right? This was, a, this was a new group of believers. These were new, brand new followers, brand new disciples of Jesus Christ. They had just experienced the miracle of Pentecost where Peter preached, the Holy Spirit came down, and thousands were saved. There's this excitement, there's this uh, drive during the early church, uh, but coming out of it, okay, what do we do now, right? What am I doing now? What ought we to do now? Well, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And, and I think that this is language that we don't often use anymore. Uh, 
this is language that is reserved for the big moments of life, right? The two th- times in my job that I can think of uh, that I use the word devoted um, is at weddings and it's at funerals, right? At weddings, a man and a woman devote themselves to each other. They devote themselves, they covenant under the Lord, and there is this incredible weight to what is happening as they devote themselves to one another before the Lord. And then the other time that I often use this is, is at funerals, right? We talk about the life of a person, and when we're trying to sum up what this person was all about, we often say, uh, you know, this, this woman was a devoted mother, or this man was a devoted husband. The language of devotion is significant. It's serious language, and it speaks to the, the, the priorities of our heart, right? It speaks to the priorities of our heart. So what were the priorities of the hearts of early disciples? What did they relentlessly prioritize? What did they relentlessly devote themselves to? And what follows, I think, in verse 42 and later in this section is what I would call intentional fellowship. Intentional fellowship. They were devoted to intentional relationships, It says, first, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what does this mean? Uh, Today, we we don't believe that there are apostles today in the same way that they were present in in the early church, right? We believe that this was a, a position that was reserved for those who were specifically commissioned by Jesus and who specifically saw the resurrected Jesus, okay? So these were uh, the apostles who saw the resurrected Jesus, and then Paul, who is kind of a, a unique person in this role. He saw the resurrected Jesus on Damascus, and Jesus specifically sent him. He was an apostle. And so we say, okay, uh, we can't do this today, right? There aren't apostles around in the same way, so we can't devote ourselves to the apostles. But notice, notice that the people were not devoting themselves to the apostles, right? They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And this is such an encouragement to us, such a reminder to us that we ought not be devoted to a person, right? We ought not be devoted to a pastor. We ought be devoted to the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ. They didn't devote themselves to a person because at this point, the the church, the local church, it was still in Jerusalem, right? It hadn't gone past the city of Jerusalem. And the apostles were still there. They were teaching. They were sharing. They were uh, telling what they had learned from their years with Jesus. But as the church expanded, as it grew, as it went from uh, Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, as Acts tells us, as it goes through this growth, right, the apostles were like, man, we got to teach these churches. And so what did they do? They wrote, they wrote letters. They wrote books, and these things were canonized, and they were accepted by churches as the word of the Lord. And so what do we commit ourselves to? What do we devote ourselves to? The teaching of the word of the Lord. Teaching not just of the the letters that these apostles wrote, but of what they were teaching out of, which was the Old Testament. They were committed to the teaching of the word of God. And then secondly, it says they were devoted to, they prioritized fellowship. 
And it's described here as the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and I think that this is more than getting together for uh, dinner. This is more than getting together to, to watch the game, right? Although I'm sure that happened. This fellowship described here, I think, was intentional. There was purpose behind the fellowship that they had. And yet, I, I think the breaking of bread here, yeah, probably talked about dinner, talked about getting together for dinner, but also I think it's, it's talking about observing the Lord's Supper, what we just did, right? Observing the Lord's Supper. The early church got together to eat and to pray and to remember who they are in Christ. And I love this. I love this picture of the early church because really what the early church did is they just went about being friends and being in community with one another for the purpose of devoting their lives to Jesus, right? They went about living their lives in community and in relationship, but it went further than that. They committed themselves and they leveraged those relationships for the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that each person in those relationships would be further pushed to pursue Jesus. So what does this mean for for us here, right? What does it mean for this local body, this expression of the body of Christ? Well, I think some of us in here uh, might be thinking, yeah, I'd love it if somebody invited me over to dinner, right? I'd love it if somebody reached out and invited me over. I'd love it if somebody invited me over to their house. Why can't I connect? Why can't I find relationship here? And uh, at, at Holbrook Portage, I have uh, the privilege of serving youth. So I serve middle school and high schoolers. And one of the cool things about being a youth pastor is that I see um, a lot of the start and the end of relationships, okay? <laughs> see a lot of this, start and the end of relationships. And one is always good and one is always bad, right? One is always good, one is always bad. But uh, some of what I see is... Uh, Students that like each other in, in youth group, this is often middle school, but definitely high school too, um, I'll have a guy come up to me and he'll tell me who he likes, right? He's been making eyes at this girl across the, the student room. He said, yeah, you know, I really like her. I said, well, have you talked to her? He says, no. <laughs> I would never talk to her, right? I said, all right, man, that's fine. And so he goes and sits back down. Well, you know, inevitably, maybe a couple weeks later, the girl comes up to me and she's been making eyes at him. And she says, hey, I really like him. Yeah, I really like him. I said, well, have you talked to him? No. <laughs> I'd never talked to him. I said, all right, it's fine. That relationship's not going to work, right? <laughs> They're never going to meet in the middle here. And, and I think, I know this is true of, of, of my life as well. There are people that I would love to get to know, right? I would love to get to know that family. I would love to get to know that guy as a mentor in my own life. And I never take the step to introduce myself. So what I want to encourage us here is that I want to encourage our relationships to be more mature than middle schoolers, okay? Like, let's take some steps of encouragement here. And what I would challenge you, maybe even today, what I would challenge you over the next weeks is maybe you step out on a limb and ask somebody to connect, right? Ask somebody to connect. You make the invite because who knows? They might be thinking the same thing, Right? They just haven't taken the step. And I think that this is one way that we can, as a church, as a community, we can be relentlessly devoted to one another. 
That's how we can be relentlessly devoted to one another. Okay, but how can we be relentlessly devoted to God? Or how, how can we be relentlessly devoted to the apostles teaching the word of God? And I know that at Bethel, and I know here at Gary, this is what we are committed to every Sunday, right? Every Sunday, Dexter gets up here and he preaches the word of God. We are not here to hear a, a, a social teaching. We are not here for a TED Talk. We are not here for five steps to improve my life. I want to know what the word of the Lord says, and I want to know how it impacts my life, right? I know that that is what we are committed to here at this campus. How are we also committed to the word of God in community? How are you committed to studying the word of God in community? Whether that's Sunday morning, whether that's Bible study, whether that's small group, whether that's just you and a family getting together to dig through the word of God. We ought to be devoting ourselves to the study of the word in community. This is a way that we are sharpened as disciples, and this is a way that we can be relentlessly devoted to not just others, but to the word of the Lord. And so the first step here to be a joyful, outward-facing church is a relational one, that we are devoted to God and to others. So step one, step two, step two. We ought to see and share with a heartfelt affection the stories of the church. We're going to talk about storytelling here. Verse 43 says this, uh, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Stories are powerful things, right? Stories are powerful things, and everybody loves a good story. Everybody loves a good story. The best ones are the ones that you experience yourself, right? And I really do believe that the world is, is split into two people, those who are good storytellers and those who are just good listeners of stories, right? I had a, uh, I had a college roommate um, who was about two steps away from being Amish. Awesome guy, awesome guy. But he was a farmer out in the middle of Ohio. And he was straight-laced, deadpan, could not tell a story to save his life, which was terrible because he had some of the best stories, I think, right? He was a farmer, and he saw some weird stuff. He, he, would, tell, he would tell a story. He fell from a grain silo, like 20 feet onto concrete, and he would tell it like paint was drying, you know? <laughs> he had a deer run into his combine, and, you know, it was grass growing, it was, he would tell it with a deadpan face. I'm like, Zeke, come on, man. You got to give me some emotion here. You got to tell me like the color of the story and nothing. I couldn't get anything from him, right? And, and so oftentimes the stories that most affect us are the stories that we get to see ourselves, right? But all of us, all of us as followers of Jesus Christ, you're a storyteller. You're a storyteller. And stories have power. And what we ought not do is, is deny or deprive somebody of being encouraged by the way that God is working in your life because we don't tell the story, right? Or we don't ask for the story. We should, as a church, have a heartfelt affection for the stories of the church, for the lives that are being changed in the church. The early church had some incredible stories 
to tell. Some incredible things happened as the early church exploded, and it says awe came upon every soul. What does this mean? I don't think we stand in awe uh, very often. We don't stand in awe very often. I know this is true, true of my life, too. And, and as I was thinking through this, I think the last time that, that I stood in awe uh, was in the labor and delivery room when I held my, my newborn back in August. A um, lot of emotions, some terror, right? Uh, some shock. But as I held my daughter, you look down at a new life, what God creates, and there is awe, right? There's just some awe there. I wouldn't say that awe is a common emotion for us, but I'm going to argue that it should be, especially when it comes to relationships of the church, because what is happening in the church, in the body of Jesus Christ, what happens week in, week out in the body of Christ? What's happening is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is working, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is saving people from the penalty of their sin. As you look across the aisle, the gospel of Jesus Christ worked in somebody's life to bring new life, and that person will spend eternity with God because of the work of Jesus Christ. If that's not awe-inspiring, I don't know what is, right? I don't know what is. More than that, more than the working of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just saving us from the penalty of our sin, but it's saving us from the power of our sin. Year in and year out, every single day, the gospel of Jesus Christ is sanctifying sin out of our lives. It's helping us overcome strongholds that we would have no business dealing with apart from the power of Jesus Christ. I could never have defeated it on my own. And that's amazing, right? I stand in awe of what God has won for me and what he continues to win in my heart. We should stand in awe of that. We should stand in awe when a dead person comes back to life through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are a bunch of former dead people in this room that are now walking in resurrected life. And that is awe-inspiring. Right? We need to stand in awe of what God is doing in our lives and in the life of this church. And we need to share the stories of it. We need to share the stories of what God is doing because stories only have power when they're shared. Don't keep a story to yourself. Don't keep a story to yourself. At HP, uh, we often say, if you see something, say something, right? If you see something, say something. Like I said, don't deprive somebody of being encouraged or spurred on by your story because you just don't want to talk about it, right? And ask somebody. Maybe, maybe a way, an application that we could have is bringing in the question into our vocabulary. What is God doing in your life lately? right? What is God doing in your life lately? Because you can hear a story from that and be encouraged by it and spurred on to godly living from it, right? So we're making a healthy church here. We're making a healthy church here. We're relentlessly devoted to God and others, and we're sharing the stories of what we see, not only in our own life, but in the lives of others. And so step three, step three in making a healthy church is that we sacrifice for others with a radical generosity. Where do we see this in the text? Verses 44 and 45 says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all 
as any had need. And this is an interesting passage. This is a passage that makes everybody an armchair economist. Like, what's going on here, right? Start talking about money, and they say, what are you talking about my money? <laughs> the early church, the early church was radically different. Radically different from the culture that they were a part of. Nobody would walk into uh, an expression of the body of Christ in the first century and say, ah, oh, this looks just like the culture, right? This just looks like everything that I see on my day-to-day. They were radically different from their religious practices, right, in worshiping one true God, and they were radically different in their economic practices. There was no other place in the Roman Empire where rich and poor would come together to worship the same God. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. But the question that always comes from this passage is was the early church communist, right? Was the early church communist? And I don't have a whole lot of time to get into it, but the short answer is no, right? (laughs) No, this is not prescribing communism uh, for three reasons, three quick reasons. First, uh, this was a voluntary practice, right, where communism is is pushed on you. Uh, Second, this was motivated by love, okay? The giving here was motivated by love. And then third, this was temporary, This was actually a temporary practice that the early church had. Uh, And you can look into Acts chapter 11 to see um, where they were were, um, asking for for money. And it said each person gave as they were able. Okay, so this was a temporary practice that the early church had. And all of us good capitalists, we sigh with relief, right? Ah, right. I don't have to sell my home. I don't have to sell my possessions to pool our money to help the needy, right? And this is preaching to my own heart as well here, but doesn't it say something that I'm relieved that I don't have to share my financial resources? Doesn't it say something? And Jesus has a lot to say on the master that is money, and the early church committed in radical ways to make sure that their life was not centered on finances, right, but was centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. They worked in radical ways to make sure that finances did not rule them. Radical generosity has been a unique difference of Christianity ever since the start of the church. All throughout human history, the sick and the needy and the marginalized have been just that. They were rarely considered But in comes a homeless Jewish man who preaches about the value of every single human life, whether they are sick, whether they're dying, whether they're poor, whether they're marginalized. And his followers of Jesus Christ look at that and say, hey, maybe we should value the life of every single person, whether they're dying, whether they're sick, whether they're poor, whether they're marginalized. And do you know what they started to do? They started valuing those lives. And they started building hospitals. And they started building orphanages. And they started giving their money in radical ways and caring for the poor and caring for the marginalized. The history of the church is often a history of radical sacrifice and radical generosity. For us today, how can we commit to radical generosity? 
can do this in a number of ways. I think we already practiced this. Tithing to the church is a way that we can practice radical generosity. Supporting individual ministries is a way that we can practice radical generosity. But more than finances, how are we practicing radical generosity with our talents and with our time? How are you opening up your home in hospitality to others, right? How are we practicing good stewardship of our finances so that we can have margin to give, right? And if you say right now, Scott, I, <laughs> I can't do this, right? I'm living paycheck to paycheck. There are other ways that we can live radically generous lives with, with the gifts and talents that God has given to us and with the time that he has given to us. And maybe, maybe we need to find people in our lives that we respect that are managing their finances well. And you can go and ask them, hey, I don't, this is always on top of me. I don't know how to do this. Can you help me? So that I can have margin to be radically generous in my life, right? This is what the early church did. They gave in any way they found. They were radically generous. And this is a way that we create a healthy church. We are relentlessly devoted to God and others. We see and share stories of the church, and we sacrifice for others with a radical generosity. And finally, step four, step four, we experience contagious joy with others, right? We experience contagious joy with others. Verses 46 and 47 says this, all of these things they are practicing, and it says day by day, consistent practice, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. There's an excitement when people are together and amazing things are happening, right? There's an excitement. And it's why we still like going to stadiums, okay? It's why we still enjoy going and being with people. Sure, you can sit in your basement and watch the game on your TV alone while you eat your nachos, or, or you could go with 50,000 other people and sit in 98-degree weather and watch the game and have an amazing time, right? We love getting together with other people, experiencing the same thing and getting excited about the same thing. There's a contagious joy when this happens, and there's a contagious joy in the church when this happens. When we all experience the ways that God is working and God's establishing his kingdom, and we look and we say, this is amazing, right? Look at what God is doing. We experience a contagious joy together. And this is what our culture is looking for, right? This is what our culture pines after. Community and joy. Our culture spends billions every single year trying to buy it, trying to find this, and they never do. They never do. We want, we desire to be a part of something that's larger than ourselves, that's bigger than ourselves, right? We want to be part of a group of people that shares stories and experiences contagious joy together, but culture looks for it in all the wrong places. And we, let's look at the early church here, right? Look at the early church here. They were with each other all the time. 
They were going over to each other's houses. They shared their money. They sold their property. They talked about the things of the Lord. Society would look in on that and say, that's a prison, right? There is no way you can find joy by being part of a church. But exactly the opposite happens. There's no way you can find joy by serving God and and self-sacrificing for other people. But what we find in the truth of Scripture and the truth of the gospel is that true joy only comes by way of the cross-centered life. True joy only comes by way of following the person of Jesus Christ, right, and establishing his kingdom. It doesn't seem like these things would bring joy and would bring community and would bring fulfillment, but they do. They do. And so what is the result here, right? What is the result of this church? The result of this kind of church, this healthy church, is a joyous, growing, and outward-facing church. You look at the end, at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And let's not forget what's at stake here, all right? Let's not forget that when a church is the church, when it's healthy and joyous and outward-facing, souls are saved from hell, right? That is at what's at stake. The community looks in and sees what it desires most deeply, joy and community, and the person of Jesus Christ. They see that our, our joy comes from eternal things, not from temporary things. They see that our community is centered around the person of Jesus where different people can come and be loved and be joined together. And this is how we can be a light to our city. This is how we can be a light to the neighborhoods that we live in by being the church that God calls us to be. And so these are the four steps to a healthy church. This is what I have for you this morning, right? This is what I have for you this morning, that we be relentlessly devoted to God and others, that we see and share the stories of the church, that we sacrifice for others with a radical generosity, and that we experience a contagious joy with others. And so as we close, right, I want to encourage you. How can you step out of the crowd here and into the family? How can you help push this flywheel that is the church of Jesus Christ in Gary so that we might be a witness to this city? How can you find community? How can you reach out to those around you? How can you be generous with your time and with your talents in this place? I encourage you to step out of the crowd here to serve in this church so that this body of believers might be healthy to the glory of God. Amen. Amen.